Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. How's your drive to pick up the kids? How's your drive? Well, my man, I hope that if anybody's getting to drive home right now, that's awesome. (laughs) But how are you going today, Beck? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. Why are you pretty good, pretty good? Ask me about the weekend, Robbie. Oh, I was going to (laughs) because... You know, for those of us who were not here last week, they might not know. But yes. those of us who were here last week know that you were away last week. I was week. away because I was driving to the snow. Oh, So exciting. Nice. I've only so. seen it once in my life, and that was like 14 years ago. So I was so stoked. Usually I go home to WA um, over the holidays, but at this point in time, the borders are closed. It's very tricky to get home. So I was thinking, man, what am I going to do with my holidays? So is that a trade up or a trade down? Uh, Be careful. You might have family members listening. I don't know. Uh, it was like equal. Can I say that? <laughs> so it was amazing. I had an, a super fun time. We made a snowman. I took a carrot. You told me to take a carrot. I did. I said yes. a carrot and two pieces of coal. Did you manage to get the coal? We didn't take the coal, but we used sticks and we, oh. we made little eyes. Well done. It well was done. It's awesome. all right. The snow was so cool and I didn't know how crunchy it was. And I was like, oh, it's so crunchy. That's that's good. Does that yeah. mean was the so snoffed, uh, snoffed, <laughs> soft and powdery, or was it a bit icy to make it crunchy? We the first day was icy, and then we found a new spot the second day, and it was like more powdery. Beautiful. Um, it was awesome. It was just a good good time. It was so beautiful. Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad you had a good time at yeah. the snow. What was the best part of the snow? Because oh, I I grew up not far from the mountains, so yes, I've seen snow many many a times. A lot of times. I think for me. Um, the beauty of it, like how it changes the landscape. You just look out and you see this white and it looks so crystal clear. And on Friday night, it was so good because we we rocked up and the sun was setting. So it was like this beautiful pink over this white, white snow. And the snow started to turn pink because of the sunset. Wow, So it beautiful. was beautiful. And I was like, man, it's like, yeah, so many different areas in different ways. God's beauty can be seen. Totally. Um, and so for me, I think just the beauty of it. I was so excited. That's amazing. You know, it's funny. <laughs> we were talking about water for our health edition of, of Weird and Wonderful World a few weeks ago. Yes. And isn't it amazing, just speaking of God's creation, how, how this molecule, you know, hydrogen and oxygen put together in yeah. some conglomeration becomes water and that can have all of these different states. You know, you can see the snow. You can yeah. see clouds that's gaseous water in the water yeah. it's pretty amazing that god has beauty in all these different ways and people are also different like that which is pretty cool yeah anyway, that was just something i was thinking maybe it's not profound but anyway that was cool so today we've got a good show lined up for you a great show in fact i'm super excited that we've got our friend Minnie, who goes by a million names actually when i was doing the interview i didn't know what i'd call her so <laughs> But she's going to be sharing her testimony today, and we're going to be going on to Daniel chapter 5 and find out about the fall of Babylon in the next installment of our God is My Judge series on the book of Daniel. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. We look forward to sharing it with you. This is Abby Eaton, Man of Sorrows.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're super excited to have you here. I just want to put it out there as a reminder that if you've got any Bible questions that you'd like us to address towards the end of the program, we would love to hear from you. Getting them in right now would be even more ideal. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, um, but in all seriousness, if you've got a question at any time in the show, feel free to call in and text in with those questions. Even if you think, oh, it's too late, they won't be able to get to it, we can get to it next show. So if you would like to do that, you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. You can even send a message to us on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So yes, it has come to that time of the show where we talk about what a weird and wonderful world that we live in. And we're doing the health edition Still, I believe, yeah? Yes, yeah, we are. So take us away, Beck. Take us away. Excellent. So you might guess what we're talking about by the question I'm about to ask. Oh, I was going to guess snow. And I was trying to think, <laughs> Will, Will Hoff, Wilhelm, that dude, which talks about Wim Hof. That's the guy, breathing cold. Anyway, sorry. He's oh. just thinking about breathing and being able to swim in Arctic waters. I thought maybe that's what you're going to talk about. Never mind. Oh, well. I'm taking up the time. Tell us. Tell us the question. <laughs> so what is your favorite green place that you have been? Uh, pine forest. A pine forest. Where? Uh, in California. Mm, okay, so home for you. Oh, yeah. California is the best place in the world. <laughs> right, if everyone left, I'd go Debatable. back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't base that on the current politics. <laughs> base it on the geography. So, for me, probably um, or a favorite green place that I've been to see the greenness in terms of the city is Singapore. Mm. I had no idea how green Singapore was. And I think it was the starkness. I had just come from Cambodia where everything is like brown unless you're in, I was in the city there. And unless you're in the country, that's a bit more green. Man, I went from like the brownest place and then we, I stepped into Singapore and it was like the whole place is full of green. Yeah. And what hanging a, what gardens. a strange difference. Cambod- I've also been to Cambodia and man, it, it is very deserty. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. So what do you think we're talking about today? Uh, the benefits of green on our health. Yes, the benefits of green vegetables. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're talking about diet. I yeah. thought. <laughs> did you know this is a side note about green? But when you are in, ex- when you have exposure to green and blue light in the natural environment, that's incredibly good for your mental health yes. and your ability to think and for your melatonin production. There yes, you go. and Boom. I think green um, really affects you, you in terms of peace, like peacefulness. Mm. They say that like people who paint their houses green as well experience feeling more calm than people who say paint it maybe red. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I don't know who said that. Don't quote me on that, but interesting. But tell us more about some green vegetables (laughs) because I love me some green veggies. So green vegetables are packed with vitamins and minerals and the primary vitamins and minerals. Vitamins. Vitamins. Are you British? My dad is. I'm sorry. No, no, you don't have to apologize. I was just curious. Okay. (laughs) So the vitamin C, I'll say vitamins. No, you can say vitamins. It's all right. It's allowed. C, K and folate. So they also contain iron, which is really needed by us for our blood, for our hemoglobin. Very much so. so. Also, especially important for women as well. Yes, 100%. So other things that they contain are phytonutrients. Do you know what phytonutrients are? No, tell us. Okay. Phytonutrients are natural chemicals in food that aren't vital for bodily function, but they increase our health and they act as a preventative for cancer. Really? Yeah. Now, does that break down when foods have been... Sorry, is that is that you get more of that when they're fresh? Is that correct? 
I don't know. That okay. can be homework for next week. Okay, cool. Excellent. So, cause, so say for example, beta carotene is yep. a phytonutrient. And you find that in orange vegetables yes. like carrots. Yeah, which is and a orange capsicum. handy way to remember it. Probably oranges as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other things about green leafy vegetables, they're a good source of fiber. And having enough fiber is really important for us to, to digest everything, for our bowel health, um, for preventing problems with your bowels. If you don't have enough movement going on down there, fiber is really important. Um, you should be having at least one of those a day minimum for, yes. for good health, by the way. That's not a laughing matter, but everybody <laughs>, laughs, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, one of fiber? I wasn't sure, no, but no, now no, I one, understand. Bowel movements. Yes, excellent. <laughs> Do you know, fiber also helps with cardiovascular health. Really? Yes. So fiber is an important carbohydrate, and it seems to, they don't know exactly how it works, but they seem to think that it adheres to LDLs or low-density lipoproteins, which are the bad fats. Bad cholesterol. And so it seems to maybe somehow when you have increased fiber, it adheres to that and it sort of takes it away. So fi increasing fiber in your diet can assist with decreasing your cholesterol levels. And yes, and your diabetes. Mm -hmm. That's really good to know. decreasing weight as well. That's really it good to know. Feel feel fuller what's your favorite green vegetables i was gonna ask that so my favorite green i don't know if it counts but i love avocado i don't so. think that counts as a green vegetable we're talking leafy green vegetables otherwise right? otherwise spinach because like avocado is the best in the world we talked about that last week with Boston. actually <laughs> spinach i love kale okay. and i actually just love chinese broccoli oh now, yes. some, so one question that comes to mind for a lot of people is how do I eat these thick, tough greens like yes. kale? And my recommendation is that you cook them, either saute them in water or a little bit of oil mm -hmm. with garlic and a bit of salt. Absolutely the best. Very good. You can chuck them in your pasta. You can chuck them in a salad. You can even grate zucchini and put it in brownies. So I really just wanted I've to- I've actually had that. It's really good, surprisingly. Yes. Really good. I wanted to encourage everyone today, step up your green intake and be blessed as you eat your greens. Just like Popeye. This is Anna Weatherup. People get ready. <laughs>
Welcome, Minnie. We're super excited to have you on the radio and to share a bit of your testimony. So where are you from? Uh, so I'm currently living in Kurumbong, been a college student. Awesome. So Kurumbong, for those that might not know, is around Lake Macquarie, not too far from Newcastle. And how old are you, Minnie? 26. Nearly 27, actually. Awesome. And so you're going to share with us, I believe, a, a story of how God has been faithful to you. Mm. So go for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, a bit of... Backstory context is grew up, I guess, Adventist home, but probably more than that, I read I read a lot, exorbitant amounts as a kid. Like we didn't have TV, I just read and read and read. And a lot of the books we had in our house were missionary stories or just stories of people with great faith. And I don't know if you ever read the books. They were called Jesus Freaks, mm. and they're essentially I think I think like the modern day Fox's Book of Martyrs or something. Anyway. It's people who are just like willing to be persecuted and suffer greatly for their faith. So I kind of had this as a bit of my inspiration for what I wanted to have in my own life. And so growing up, it was always like, I'm going to be a missionary. It's going to be me and Jesus. Like, I don't need anyone else, but I wanted this awesome faith. But as I kind of grew up, I missed grace. Like I missed, it was like wanting God in my life, but not really knowing how to invite him into it. Mm -hmm. But I still had these, all these stories that I'd grown up with as this, oh, but I want to be that. Like, I want that faith. I did it, you know. Mm. Anyway, so then you kind of go along and, you know, you kind of have the, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life, but then do your own thing. But then when I was, oh, when I was 23, I gave my heart fully to Jesus. I was at a church in, in New Orleans, African-American church. It was awesome. But I was like, right, Jesus, this is, this is serious now. Like, I actually want to give you my life in a very real way. Like, I don't want to hold on to this pride of like I'll do it myself anyway go a little bit on so this is kind of like recent history now um and I just found myself in a time of my life of having given my life to Jesus and being like yep okay like we're good now you know I, I'm gonna just trust you with all things all times happy days and then you know have started like getting back more into that my own Christian real Christian journey anyway that's a bit of the context so I was, yeah, I was, I was Bible working. So I, I was doing some work and, um, so what, what's a Bible worker do just for the context of people who may not understand. 
So essentially what I was doing is door knocking. So just going through communities and just knocking on doors, just seeing where people are at, um, if they want to do Bible studies or how open they are to just spiritual conversation. So there was lots of people. It might only be that I pray with them or just check in or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I was doing that and was just like, yes, Jesus, like, this is what I want to be doing. This is the best job in the world. Like, I get to be outside, like, walking around, I'm outdoors. This is brilliant. Meeting people, happy days. But I found myself in this situation where all of my kind of, like, close network were not my Christian community, which in some ways was incredible. Like, I think in in just really loving these non-Christians, it taught me to love non-Christians. Does that make sense? Like, the burden on my heart was there in a way it has never been before because I was like, man, I just, like, I'm pleading with God that, mm. that he comes to, to them. Um, and I know he does, but, you know, just that personal aspect. But around this time, I, I start to have a few things pop up in my life, which have been there in the past, but you're kind of like, oh, no, no, it's all good. Like, we're, we're past that. Jesus, like, we've, we've conquered that one. It's all good. And um, it kind of like this these things kind of just kind of creep in and I fully was just like oh but I don't need to give this one to Jesus because I've got it I've got this handled it's all sweet it's sorted no 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 pretty much just feel like I totally stitch myself up and I get to the point where I just honestly like grappled for like months of going can I even be saved like I've known God's goodness and I didn't trust you and I did it and and it's not even that it's like these massive gnarly things, although some of it really was. Um, But it was just this habit of, no, but Jesus, I've got this, I'll hold on to to this. And there's a verse somewhere, I've forgotten its reference for a second, but it's basically saying anything that is not of faith is sin. Mm. And so I think often we talk about, you know, sin is, you know, lawlessness. And that's true, also biblical point, but it's anything that kind of breaks that that relationship of trust. Mm. And so... I just look at this time period and, and just certain aspects in it. And yeah, I was just like devastated because I'm like, Jesus, I've known your goodness. I've known your grace, but I'm the biggest sinner because I just haven't trusted you with it at all. And I'm just really, I was humbled in a way I've never been before. And it was like completely painful. Like it was the worst. But around this time, I was doing different Bible studies with people, just going to different people's homes. And I, I was literally there being like, Jesus, I should not be here. How dare how dare I be the one to share you when I haven't trusted you with just my entire life, mm. my entire circumstance. Um, and I remember having this. So I have very vivid dreams. Like I just always have. And every now and then I have ones that really um, teach me something about myself or God. And I had this one. I, I was just like completely overwhelmed by my own just yuck you know i was like man my heart is just the worst oh man that's full-on mini and i'm super excited to hear more about this dream we're gonna hear more about that after this break we delight in love your word we delight in the son who was perfect from birth we delight in the day he's returning to earth hallelujah
Welcome back to Real Faith. We're going to get right back into our testimony with Minnie. Now, you were just telling us, Minnie, you were about to tell us, I should say, about this dream that God gave you. Yeah, so in this dream... I'm, I'm running and, I, and there's something like like being shot at me and I'm, and I just know I'm like I'm gonna die and I'm running like crazy and um, I run up this hill it's just this green grassy hill it's like super lush but I'm just terrified I'm like this like this is the end for me and I run and I get to this top and it's this beautiful view and because it's a dream it's not realistic and suddenly there's something behind me it wasn't there before but now it is and and I like things aren't flying past me anymore. And so I just, I just hide behind this thing. Like, I don't even care what it is. I'm just, like, hiding because I'm not getting hit anymore. And then I kind of hear this, like, I don't even know how to explain what the sound was. I hear this sound, and I'm just, I'm just crouched behind this thing, and it's like I'm up behind a tree. And, and I look behind me, and I still can see it so vividly. Um, it's like I look behind me around my left shoulder, and I look up, and it's this man on a cross. Mm. And now all these things which were firing at me, they're piercing him. And I can see this... Wow. Just his eyes, man, it was like there's tears and blood just mingled, just running down his face, but his eyes are just so full of love and there's never any, you weren't worth it. There's none of that. And for about two weeks after I had this, it just made me cry every time because I was like, but Jesus, I'm, I'm the worst. Like, I can't be here. Like, am I even a Christian? Can I even be forgiven? Can I? It was just all this, just such a weight. And then there was this picture of, just the beauty of grace in his eyes. And I can't really explain that to people. It's mm. like, and even though I know that I wasn't physically there, I was like, oh, Jesus, man. And yeah, and so that was just like this pivotal thing for me. And you know what? It didn't, it didn't change my circumstance. Like, to be honest, there was still so much mess after that. But there are so many people. There's probably like four people around that time. And, and then over the following months who just were seeing these beautiful pictures of God. And I'd be doing Bible studies with them and just praying with them. And like just being honest about like different things to a point, not completely, but being like, hey, this is, you know, I just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean da da da. And some of them just having these most amazing revelations. And I'm like, I didn't tell you this. Like, I haven't shown you this. This is all what Jesus is doing. Yeah. And, and feeling this tension between they'd be like, oh, Minnie, you're so da da da. And I'm like, do not, like, don't put on me that I'm good. If there's anything good in me, this is all Jesus. And mm. it was such a beautiful, humbling experience because it was like on one hand, actually seeing the state of myself. Mm. Like I heard someone a little while ago say, circumstance doesn't doesn't create your character, it reveals it. Ooh, that's good. And so it was. I was in a situation that I'd never been in before, so it was revealing something I didn't know was there, Yeah. if that makes sense. And yeah. so then having these people be like, oh, you're so good. I'm like, I'm so not. That's all Jesus. Mm. But the fact that Jesus is going, I'm working and I just want you to show up. Mm. you know anyway so it was just I know there's not a, like I didn't really give a lot of specifics in that but it was just this incredible experience that completely changed yeah really my heart and I think that I came back this year um you know a little while on very lost but not despairing just being like you know what Jesus I actually do kind of suck but you your grace is so much bigger than that and I think that's been a big lesson is that grace transcends failure mm. Still, so you should say that again. That's so good. <laughs> that grace transcends failure. Grace transcends failure. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So that's the anyway. That's just a bit of that, and and just that. Yeah. How God, how faithful God was to me, but also to others. Like God's faithfulness doesn't change regardless of my mess. Mm. And and something that a few people have said to me, they're like, you know what? God wants you um, sharing His goodness 
to keep saving you. Like that's what they're saying to me. Mm. And I more and more believe that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I've experienced that myself where so often in sharing Jesus with others, we realize our own lack. Mm. We realize our own sinfulness more, which doesn't change the fact of who we were. It just reveals more of what we didn't already know. Mm. But in those spaces, I find it's often that in the effort to, to lead someone else to Jesus, we are brought back to Jesus even more closely. That's ah. so cool. Is there anything that you'd like to say specifically to our listeners? <laughs> Look, I was saying this, I was actually on the um, radio with Lyle for the Brecky show the other day, and we were talking about this. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was that when the Bible says pride comes before a fall, it's true. But while you're falling, that pride will tell you you're flying. Mm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I guess just for me, when I talk to people, I'm like, man, if God is calling your heart to do something or go somewhere, he actually loves you so much. He wants to stop you from having to go through that painful learning. You can still trust Jesus and not go have to do that deep broken I think mm. you know like if I would love to be able to say yes I just trusted Jesus with da, 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 but that God is still good even mm. in that so if you can trust Jesus trust Jesus like if you know he's calling calling you to something like just be willing even if it's really hard mm. but if you have made some choices and and you haven't that just come back to that throne of grace mm. like because that's it's it's the beauty and absurdity of who God is mm. That he just like, yep, come. I know, I know the mess, but you're not, never going to fix it. So just come. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing, Minnie. It's been such a blessing to have you. And we just pray that God will continue to bless you and use you in our ministry. And uh, not our ministry, your ministry. I got a little ahead of myself there because <laughs> Minnie's been coming to our church. And so our church's ministry is also important through what Minnie's doing. And if you'd like to plug in, you can also come and check us out, Coast Life Adventist Church. But anyway, shameless plug. Thank you so much for your time. May God bless you. And we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. So stoked to have you with us. We have now come to, well, man, it was awesome to hear, hear Minnie's testimony, some cool stories that she's told. Super excited about that segment of our show. By the way, before we get into our, my favorite part, which is the Bible study, which was I interrupted myself that time, actually. Um, <laughs> If you have any Bible questions, we just want to encourage you to call or text in. You can do that at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text in at 0491-064-669 or on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So we are now getting into the Bible study. Yes. And I'm super excited. So we are up to Daniel chapter 5. So in Daniel chapter 5, we actually have taken a huge gap in time. Yes, Well, a well leap, not, not a, a huge, but a leap forward, mm-hmm. for sure, between Nebuchadnezzar and the character who's going to come up in this story who's now leading and ruling Babylon. And a lot of things have gone, yeah, a, lot of, you know, a lot of things have taken place, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But let's start off with the first verse. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. Okay, first of all, who's the king? Belshazzar. Belshazzar. And this dude is the king right now. And it sounds like he's throwing a bit of a party. Yeah, a thousand <laughs> of his lords. <laughs> you know, if, if my neighbors... Th- I'm not a party person, by the way. But if my neighbors throw a party and it's noisy 
and there's like 10 people, I get a bit cranky. But yeah, imagine, yeah, yeah. imagine having a thousand people having a party. Yeah. This is a huge party. What's crazy is that this party happens in the very night that Babylon will be destroyed. Yes. This is astounding. We're going to find that out as we read through the story. But it's amazing that this king would have the audacity to be throwing a party in the midst of essentially a war yeah. that was going on. The, the Persians, led by Cyrus the Great, had actually come and taken over one of his cities. I believe it's called Sippar. So they've already had a military defeat. And yet here they are having a drunken party. And not only just any drunken party, but a thousand of his lords is what it says is coming up. So yeah. this, is a, this is a big, big party. Yeah. This is a bit of a bold, brash move because that's not what I would be wanting any of my leaders to be doing if we were in the midst of a war, would you? Yeah, it actually seems really nonchalant. Like he's just not really caring, not really interested Mm. um, or thinking that it will affect him. So this is fascinating. So Belshazzar, we're going to find out a bit more about his lineage, but essentially there's been, I think, four kings since Nebuchadnezzar before this guy's doing what he's doing. So there's a bit of time that's gone on in between those two things. I didn't know there were four. Yeah, so you've, I was looking at it earlier today, brushing up on some history. Excellent. So you have some names that are Babylonian that I can't recall except for his father. So we'll get back to that. <laughs> but let's keep reading. So this is happening years later is the point. So let's read verse 2 through 4. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. All right, so what's going on here? Basically, he's throwing a party and he's praising everyone but the actual God in heaven. And so it says here that he's uh, praising the gods, the gods that they've made of wood, of gold, of stone, um, not actual real gods. And he's gone in and he knows about these what are called vessels or or big cups, goblets. And he knows about these that were taken um, from the house of God that the Israelites had. And they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar when he invaded. Um, And they've taken those vessels which were holy and used for God and they've put wine in them and started drinking from them. This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. What he's doing is such a bold and brash statement. So there's, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on here, right? He's got mm. this huge party going on. Notice it wasn't just a thousand of his lords, right, or, or leaders in his, in his estate, um, but it was also all of his wives. Yeah. Not only all of his wives, but his concubines, which would have been people who didn't have the status of a wife but were for his pleasure, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is, this is pretty – this is a full-on group. Yeah. And so in the midst of this, the first thing that I noticed out of there is that it says that he was actually drinking with the people. Now, we don't know this historically. Scholars suggest that this is, this is not normal. Normally, he would dine by himself away from his servants. But here he is with all of the servants of his kingdom, essentially the main ones, and he's actually drinking with them. This is unusual. Mm, I didn't know that. This is very unusual. Yeah. So, so, so strange. So here's the king, and he's getting drunk. With his leaders, his wives, and his concubines. And in the midst of this, he calls out and says, Hey, bring, bring, and I just imagine him calling out in a stupor, you know, bring me the, bring me the vessels from the Jewish God from Jerusalem, right? Yeah. And he's defiling them. What he's essentially saying is that 
I am greater than your God, and I will use your God's holy things for the purposes of my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so it's, did you notice also that when it says that they were praising these gods, in other words, idols or statues, yeah. false gods, notice that it said it included four metals. Yeah. Did you notice which metals were there? Gold and silver, bronze and iron. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because those are the very same metals that are mentioned mentioned in the vision in Daniel chapter 2, which described... Yeah, that's cool. ...described the succession of empires that was to come. Now, I think this is fascinating. I think this is worth mentioning. They were worshiping idols. Now, in our Western context, not many people really experience a lot of that per se. I've been to India. Uh, one of my best mates is from India. And in, the, in our travels there, we would go into homes... Of people, and they would literally have idols to their Hindu gods, yeah. which is a huge pantheon of gods, thousands of them. And they would offer incense, and these were, you know, these are essentially, it's, it's like a talisman, right? It's, it's, this is, I offer this incense, these prayers before this god, etc., to keep me, to bless me, etc. Now, we don't see that so much in our context, but there are many idols that we serve, right? An idol doesn't just have to be a statue. Yeah. An idol can be anything that we place in the position of God, Right. An idol can even be something that in and of itself is good. Yeah, for sure. But how often do we look to security from things like power, success? We seek for our value in... Even our job? That's right. Relationships. Yeah. Sex. We look for it in all sorts of different things. Reason, money. Like we, I, we, we idolize reason, right? This is, this is the humanistic perspective is that I am God essentially because of my mind, because I can reason my way through everything. Yeah. So there's... There's this idolatry that happens in our world that we are all tempted to and that we have all been guilty of where we place things in the position of God in our lives. And this is what they're praising. They're praising these gods of stone and wood, etc. And the reason I mention that is because it's not just a thing that was happening in this time or happening in faraway places in the world, but this happens in our own context and in our own homes when we do the same thing. Yeah. All right, so let's keep reading. Let's read from 5 through 7. In the same hour, or five through six, sorry. The fingers, (laughs) in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. All right, so this is crazy, right? Here he is. He's in the middle of this giant party. All of the famous people, right? Like, this is like a Hollywood party. Yeah. Like, these are the big names, the big leaders. This is a big deal. And they're all there schmoozing, doing their thing. And all of a sudden, the king sees this supernatural hand show up and start writing figures on the wall in a language that he doesn't understand. And it says that, it says that his, his hips were loosened and his knees began to shake, yeah. right? So what happens when you get scared? You want, when you, you want to run away? Yeah, right? Like you, you lose stability in your knees. Some scholars suggest that he, this even means that he wet himself. So he's astonished. He doesn't know what to do, and he screams out in terror. And that's where we're pausing. This is Ashray Colors. with a new brush with your eyes closed. So unsure about direction, but you follow where it goes. Bursting into colors from the unknown. Refracting images from heaven that is caught between our souls. My Sweet, 
or saying nice to meet you as their whispers fill your mind. My oh my how sweet it simply feels to start again. Salty waves and sunshine came to comfort as a friend. I can see a new December calling from horizons. It feels like ooh. It feels like Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We are super excited to be back into this. So we've just left off where basically a, a supernatural happening has taken place. And there's this hand that appears. It doesn't say it was connected to anything. So just imagine this. Imagine that you are Belshazzar in the middle of this party. And you are sitting here and you see this disembodied hand yeah. show up and start writing in the plaster of the wall. So I don't know if that, it doesn't say how that happens. It doesn't say it was writing with something or there was ink on there. I don't know what this means. Yeah. But like, you'd be terrified. It's almost the stuff of nightmares that we see like in movies, you know, like. Totally. Hands by themselves doing things. Was it's it scratching into the plaster? Yeah. Was it Was it a mark? Like, who knows? These are some of the questions that I have. Now, if you've got a question, <laughs> Beck's going to tell you how you can send in a Bible question that we yes. can look at in question of the day. Please send us a question. Call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us on 0491-064-669 or our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So this is crazy. Like, just, just imagine how terrifying that would really be. Yeah. You'd be freaking out, man. This is a freaky thing. This is a weird thing. Especially because they don't have, they didn't have movies. They didn't have like books and things like we do today that we we see these kind of things a little bit more, you know, mm. being illustrated. For them, yeah, he was having a party. This was a really big night. And suddenly this emotive hand moving by itself is what they see. And I feel like if he noticed it and he's watching it and he has that reaction, everybody's noticing. Everyone's turned to look and see what is the king, why is he like this? Yeah, and if they hadn't seen before, by now they're, I'm sure they are, yeah. right? Like yeah. he's pointing at it. He's freaking out. Yes. He's shaking in his boots. Some scholars say that maybe he's it, maybe that language even suggests that he lost control of his bladder, mm. right? So, 
whatever's going on, he's that scared. Yeah. That scared. He's terrified. So let's keep reading and find out what in the world is this king going to do. And by the way, where's Daniel in all of this? Yeah. So let's find out. Where are we reading? Oh, sorry. Seven through nine. Apologies. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Okay, so they're freaking out, right? Like, he's, he's astonished. Yeah. He's perplexed. The people don't know what's going on. Like, he's just called all... There's so many mirrors here of, of previous stories, right? Yeah. Like, it sounds very much like Daniel chapter 2. That's what and I was And Daniel thinking. chapter 3. Yeah. And Daniel chapter 4, right? Like, oh, well, maybe it's just 2 and 4 I'm thinking of. But anyway, he calls for these people. He calls for the astrologers, the Chaldeans, these wise men. But there's no mention of Daniel. Yeah. And it says that all of them came, and were they able to interpret it? No. No, they saw it. They couldn't interpret it. And at this point, he's starting to panic. Yeah. Right? To me, it's, it shows even the depth of what they were feeling because if they couldn't interpret it, they weren't even pretending to interpret. You know, like yeah. there was like they could have said anything because nobody understood what it was saying. So they could have said, oh, that's what this means. That's right. But they didn't. They made they were so scared that they weren't even going to offer a fake interpretation Mm, and i've never thought about this but the fact that they were in a time of war and they had been suffering losses might have heightened this right and also the fact that they had just been desecrating the holy instruments of of a, a foreign people's god yeah right so who knows right but they're freaking out man and so this is where it gets really interesting now by the way it said that he would offer a gift, a reward to anyone who could do this. And he would give them clothing of purple, which was a sign of wealthy, a sign of wealth. And he would give them rich rewards. And then it said he would make them which third, third ruler. Yeah. Now, this is a very strange thing to say. Why not second in command? And the history shows us that Belshazzar was ruling as co-regent or co-ruler with his father, whose name was Nabonidus. Mm-hmm. Now, in the history books, Nabonidus is the last king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. But he went away for a period of time to Western Arabia, to a place called Tema, and he actually was running a campaign there. And so he was basically, as far as I understand it, he was was running a military campaign, and he was going on. And for this time, he set his eldest son, Belshazzar, in position of kingship in his stead while he was away. Yeah. Which is fascinating, because this actually matches history to a T. Yeah. Which is cool because it just gives us just that extra piece yeah. of evidence to support what we're reading. Absolutely. And we didn't know this historically until later. And people used to use that as, as, an, as an example of why Daniel was incorrect until we found out later that, no, in fact, that is the case. History so backs cool. the Bible. It's amazing. That's so cool. So none of the wise men could read or interpret what's going on. So what happens next? Let's read up to verse 12, 10 through 12. Yeah. This is so cool. I love this bit. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom 
like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. I love this. You're right. This is a cool part of the story. So the queen rocks up. Now the question is, who is this queen? Yeah. What's fascinating to, to as well to ask is, why wasn't she at the party? <laughs> right? It says all of his wives and all of his concubines, they were at the party. Right? They were following in, in his footsteps. They were doing the same thing. They were drinking the wine from these vessels. To they me, were participating. Yeah, it seems interesting because she she's bringing uh, truth and wisdom and she seems to be a voice of reason. Mm. And I feel like everything that Belshazzar was doing was not wise. And so I feel like she just wasn't really party to it. She didn't want to be in there, really. That's yeah. what it seems like. I, I don't know. But it seems interesting to me. Yeah, and she's, she has all this knowledge and she's like, this is the answer you need to call Daniel. That's right. This is so fascinating. So here's a woman. Now, now scholars suggest that it's most likely his mother. It's not likely that, you know, even, even the wives of kings were not supposed to enter in and visit the king without permission or, or without first getting approval, right? So this is unusual. But in Babylonian writings, we find that the, the mothers of kings were treated with great respect and yes. dignity. Also, we know that his grandmother, who it also could have been, she had actually died prior to this event. So we know it's not her. So it's most likely his mother, which is interesting. Because she would have been around at the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Because Nebuchadnezzar, it's, it's believed by some scholars that Nabonidus, I know I'm saying a lot of names here, but Nabonidus, who was Belshazzar's father, was perhaps the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar, which would make this woman Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. That's hard to say. <laughs> so potentially this is yeah. even the daughter of King Neb. We'll go yeah. with King Neb. That's I can cool. say that. I like that, King Neb. Yeah, very But good. it's fascinating because she recognizes that Something's different about Daniel. Yeah. Daniel's no longer in this position, it seems, because he was already put into a high position by Nebuchadnezzar. But in the usurping of the next leader's throne, etc., it seems that Daniel's been left by the wayside, and yeah. he's no longer in that position of authority. But here, he's being remembered, and not for his own deeds, but for having the Spirit of God in him. Yeah. And I love what she says at the end. She says, he will give the interpretation, full stop. Yeah. It's beautiful. He'll do it. It's beautiful. Like just thinking about that. And I was thinking, man, like this is a passage in scripture, which really hits me where like, do I have that kind of reputation? You know, mm. I want that. I want that to be something that people think because she, she says like he had the spirit of God in him, man, that's what we need. Like to be a kind of person like Daniel, you need to have God's spirit in you. It's not us that does these things. You know, Daniel was surrounded um, in where he was living, he was surrounded in Babylon by all of this idolatry, with all of this drunkenness that we can see, with all of this unhealthy food, um, this defiling of what God has, has called holy. And we see that he maintained um, his prayer life. He maintained his devotional life, his integrity throughout all of, all of this scripture. And how did he do that? Because he had God living in him. And to me, it's so beautiful. And like, I want that kind of relationship that when people think of me, they think, man, he, he has God. Totally. Like, he has God. It's totally. amazing. I was literally thinking about that today as I got into the car thinking, man, I how, do, how do people define me? Am I going to be defined as that guy, who, you know, that surfer, 
the rock climber, the songwriter, the, you know, whatever, whatever thing you do, yeah. you know, the student, the funny guy, the whatever it is, right? Whatever that thing is for you. Do you want to be defined by those things? They might be elements of truth, but at the end of the day, and I was thinking about this, I, I thought, man, I want to be defined as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I want that to be the defining factor of my life. And there's so many things at competition for that all the time yeah. that it's a constant it's a constant reorienting of, of, of direction to say, I want to direct my life back towards Jesus. Those things are not necessarily in and of themselves bad, but I don't want that to be the defining feature of my life. I want people to remember, like you said, this is a person who Jesus worked through. This yeah. is a person who was Amen. following Jesus. Amen. And I think we all can aspire to that. All right, so what's going to happen? So she's saying, call Daniel. So let's read on. And this is where the story begins to throw down. And oh my goodness, it gets good. Let's read from verse 13 through verse 13, sorry, 16. (laughs) Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and astrologers have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right, so he makes him the same promise. He's like, all right, I got no other options. Call for this Daniel. Now, it's very likely that he had heard stories of this Daniel, right? But he was not ready to call Daniel in. Why would you think he would not be ready to call Daniel in before when he called everybody else? Yeah, well, it feels like because he's desecrating Daniel's God. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Right, and so he calls Daniel in and he makes him a promise. Now, this is fascinating to me. He says, hey, if you do this for me, I'm going to give you all of these gifts. I'm going to, and it's almost a power play, right? Like, hey, I will give to you what you don't have. And I love what we're about to read Mm, because Daniel's response is just earth shattering. Check it out. Let's read through to 21. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Oh my goodness. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up and whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Oh my goodness. What a throwdown! Like just mic drop. Boom. Crazy. He's basically just telling Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. But before that, he says something astonishing. The first thing that he says is he says, let your gifts be for yourself. Yeah, I don't want them. Can you imagine saying that to the king of the world who right there is thrown in his party and you insult him in front of all of his lords and servants? 
That is an astonishing thing to see. That is bold. Bold. He's coming in here. And I, what, what I find really fascinating about this is it seems that Daniel's not coming in and he's, he, he doesn't have the relationship with Belshazzar that he had with Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, bro, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Right? And it shows to me as well, there's a Bible verse and it says that God is not a respecter of persons. That's right. In terms of not that God doesn't respect us, but that God doesn't respect you because of your position or what other people think. Totally. You know, what humanity thinks. So here it's like Daniel with that same spirit, he looks at Belshazzar and he's like, man, you are not of the Lord. I'm not a respecter of you and what you're doing. I don't need your gifts. I don't need these things. I need God. Totally. And I love that. Keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. And then he goes on, like you said, to tell the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And basically the story of Nebuchadnezzar, if you were to sum that up, is he says, Nebuchadnezzar was proud and God humbled him until he knew that it's God who sets people up and puts people down and he recognized it was God who was really in control. This is Anna Beden, Better Day. To 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. If you have some questions, you can still text those in. There's still time, so we'd love to hear from you at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 491 or hit us up on the Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So he's just told, Daniel has just told Belshazzar basically a recapitulation or a recap. Hey, I just realized that that's the same thing. It's a shortening of that word. Um, I'm Australian in, in my heart, see? You just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> made to be here. Yeah, somebody's mind was just blown in the studio. They're just, they're just, it's astonished. <laughs> I was not the only one who just had that realization. So anyway, <laughs> he goes on and he's talking to this group and he tells this story essentially that Nebuchadnezzar was a man who was full of pride, who believed in himself and his own ability, his own success. He worshiped himself. He deified himself. Mm-hmm. And yet God put him down. Right, he, he removed him from that position, which caused him to be humbled. He recognized the truth, the reality of his situation. And humility, by the way, isn't just thinking less of yourself. It's not just putting yourself down, self-deprecation. That's all rubbish. It's thinking about yourself less. Right? It's less about me and more about others. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. It's not about the fake, you know, I just have no self-esteem. That's not humility. But he steps down and he recognizes God is God, and I'm here because of what God has done, and I need to be responsible for that. Yeah, I read a a Bible commentator today, and and they were talking about the fact that Satan, you know, we know that Satan is the opposite of Jesus and the opposite of God and and love. And in Satan's view, it's all about me and about self and what can I do for me. Um, And he takes, whereas Jesus is all about giving and what can I do to help and give and love others. And I was um, convicted in reading that, like, you know, like, oh, what are the times that I think about me? And yeah, just finding that balance about like doing things that we should do, but but really living for God. And I think that's what we see here as we're going to move further in the story. We're looking at Belshazzar, what he could have been like and what he turned out to be like. Amazing. And so he says this bold thing and he basically says, look, I'm not here for your gifts. I'm here to tell you that you haven't humbled yourself. Yeah. Right. He's like, hey, God showed up and your ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, he responded and became a follower of the real God. He humbled himself, recognized the truth, and recognized his need. And then we're about to shift gears, and now he starts talking to Belshazzar. So let's read through verse 28. But you, his son... Oh, sorry, through 23. Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk from wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. So profound. He just says a blatant juxtaposition. Nebuchadnezzar 
was proud, was humbled by God, and responded to God's grace. But you, you knew all this, right? He says, you understood, you saw these things. You had the history. You didn't learn from it. You have lifted yourself up in pride, and you're about to be put down. It's crazy. What a juxtaposition. What a juxtaposition. So you've made yourself proud. And by the way, like you said, this is pride is the way of Satan, right? Build myself up at the expense of others. Put you down to build me up. That's pride. That's that's that all originates with pride. And what's interesting is when you ask what the Bible says about the original sin, where did sin originate? Didn't it didn't originate on earth with the fall of mankind. It actually originated with the fall of Lucifer, In the heaven. the angel who became Satan. And the Bible says in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28, it says that his heart was lifted up, which means proud. It says that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He chose to indulge his pride, and that led him to violence, right? And that violence is is most explicitly stated in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Like he wanted to destroy his maker. Pride is the the source, like the root sin of almost all other sin, yeah. if not all. It's powerful stuff. And he says, dude, you're, you're living in the land of pride. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing about pride is it's one of those sins that as a religious person, we tend to hold on to without realizing it. Yeah. Self-righteousness comes out of where? Out of pride. And pride is probably the most despicable of all things because it actually is the one that leads to almost everything else. Yeah. Crazy. So this is what he says. And now let's keep reading through 28. He keeps talking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel yufasen. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Check this out. All right, so meeny, meeny, tackle you, Parson, right? So check this out. Isn't This is fascinating to me. So it means, what were, what were the things that it means? That God has numbered waiting. your kingdom. Yep. It says that one twice, right? Mm-hmm. You've, been, you've been numbered. Your days are numbered, yeah. son. You're, you're, you're running out of time here. Your days have been numbered. Your days have been numbered. You have been weighed. And found wanting. And found wanting. You don't match, you don't match up. Like yeah. you don't meet what you need to meet. And then he says the last thing, your kingdom's been divided. It's given to the Persians. Yeah. Right? You're going to be you're going to be given up to the Medes and the Persians. These kingdoms that have joined together to take you out. And he says you're done. It's powerful. Yeah. He's he's reached this point where he's he's made a decision and that decision's going to be acted out. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's there, full it, on. it really shows us as well that there is there is a time like, you know, we look in in the Bible and God talks about the, the end of time coming. And mm. we know that that's approaching as we see things in history and the world that's happening. But the thing is for people like Daniel, they don't have to be afraid because their, their faith is founded in Jesus and mm. their faith is founded in the one who saves them. But then we look at people like Belshazzar and it's because they've not submitted to God and they've not trusted in God, but they've trusted in self. And that leads to, you know, trusting in everything else that isn't of God. And the thing that he wants is for us to put our faith in him because he's the one that can save us. And we can't do that no matter how much gold we have. Just like what Daniel was saying, I don't need your gold. I don't need your things. Because in the end, we don't need these things to live. The thing that we need, the source of life comes from God. Mm, Totally. 
Oh, so good. So good. So many points. Let's read the last two verses and then we can just kind of talk about the rest of it. So the last two verses say that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Boom, right? Like that night, and literally we know this from history. Xenophon writes this. The Persians, they came in, the Medo-Persian connection, they came in, they cut off the river, rerouted it. They came in through the sewer gates. They sacked the town in one night. Done. Boom. Dead. Crazy. Yeah. What's astounding is they didn't kill Daniel, interestingly enough. His reputation must have gone somewhere. Yeah. But this is powerful. It's so powerful. What, there's a number of things. Let's try and draw some applications out of this. One thing that I think is amazing is Daniel told the vision that God gave to King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to fall. There'll be another kingdom that's going to come after you. And we see it fulfilled in Daniel's lifetime. Yeah. Crazy. What are some other applications we can draw out of this, Beck? You were saying something awesome before in the yeah. break. But something I was thinking, um, I might share that later, but something I thought about is that Daniel's integrity remained. And I know I, I spoke about this previously, but thinking, man, throughout all of this, like we see that Belshazzar, Belshazzar's, <laughs> Belshazzar's integrity doesn't remain. Like it, maybe it wasn't there. I don't know. He doesn't have it. He doesn't, even though he knows about Nebuchadnezzar's story and he knows about Daniel and his, his either mother or grandmother knows about Daniel. And but Daniel's integrity remained and he was surrounded by these things. And I think, man, what did he have to maintain that integrity? He had prayer, he had time with God and he was faithful always to what God asked him to do. And I think for us, wherever you are, if you're maybe in a workplace, it's a situation you think, man, how can I be faithful? Um, God will never allow you to be in a circumstance where you cannot be faithful to him. He will give you the strength and the ability to be faithful. So I'm in wanting to encourage people, if you're in that situation, remain faithful, trust in God and, and remain as a person of integrity because that will be an example, just like it was an example to the queen. And then it was an example to Belshazzar and actually all the lords and people in that region as well. So uh, hold on to your integrity and, and ask that God will do that for you, what you can't do for yourself. Mm, totally. And it's, it's relational, isn't it? You know, we can't, we can't just, it's, it's not just about, ticking boxes or doing those kinds of things. It's actually about connecting with Jesus for real in your real life. And we do that through various means. And scripture is a part of that. Prayer is a part of that. Service is a part of that. There's many aspects of what that looks like. This is Sandra Enterman, the man called Jesus. How could it be a crime 
that he gave all his love. Now the man who saved my life has been nailed upon a cross, and the joy that he made mine, without him we'd all be lost. Oh, they must not know this man called Jesus. If they'd known him like I do, if they'd felt his gentle touch, if they'd only seen the love in his eyes, well, I hope someday they will, then like me they'll understand what it is to know this man called Jesus. Will the morning ever come and the night be left behind? Jesus is the only one who can bring the sun to shine. Now I feel just like the sky when the rain begins to start. I can't stop these tears I cry from the pain that's in my heart. Oh, they must not know this man called Jesus. If they'd known him like I do, if they'd felt his gentle touch, if they'd only seen the love in his eyes, well, I hope someday they will, then like me they'll understand what it is to know this man called Jesus. If they'd known him like I do, if they'd felt his gentle touch, if they'd only seen the love in his eyes. Well, I hope someday they will, then like me they'll understand what it is to know this man called Jesus. What it is to know this man called Jesus. What it is to know this man called Jesus.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck, and uh, it's come to a special time. Hey, what time is it, Liam? What what time is it? My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Look, sometimes sometimes we sleep, sometimes we don't sleep, but the time right now is question of the day. <laughs> I I really like this portion of the day. I look forward to it. So the question today is, how do I overcome pride? Yeah. Great question. Yes. Heavy question. So because let's, it's, it's let's chat about it. what we've been talking about. Like, you know, uh, pride. And so we say that Belshazzar had pride. Nebuchadnezzar had pride. He lifted himself up. Um, and Daniel did not have that. He was obviously humble. Um, and so how do we deal with this pride problem? And for me, I mean, there's there's... There'll be multiple facets that we talk about, I think. But one of the things I was thinking, we need to think about what did the people in this story do? Like a practical application from this story. We think about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. They're always talking about um, giving gifts, elevating you, putting you in a position. So for them, those things are what elevate your pride, putting you in being in position. But for Daniel, he always deflects back to God. So for him, whenever it said, oh, Daniel, you're amazing, he deflects back to God. And he says, God is the one that gives the vision and the interpretation. God is the one that's there. He doesn't really pay attention to these things. Like when Belshazzar offered him um, the riches, he says, I don't need those riches. I have God. And so for me, he puts uh, about being humble and and dealing with pride. He puts God as the most important thing. And because of that, everything else sort of fades in comparison. Mm. You know, what's funny about that is that actually brings up something for me that was a question of mine for a long time. Mm. And that's, can I never say thank you when somebody says something to me then? Because the the challenge that I've come across with that response, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, by the way, but I've come across people, and I remember doing as a teenager, especially when I was new to the faith, or or to my own personal faith at least, that people would sometimes say, I'd, I'd say, hey, I really enjoyed what you did this, that, or the other, or, hey, that was really cool. Can you, and a lot of the time they'd just be like, oh yeah, praise God, praise God. And after a while it started to feel like they just were blowing me off and like they didn't, they, they weren't acknowledging that I said something or that I appreciated something. And so that's been a bit of a struggle actually for me to just in that space to, to figure out, well, we do want to obviously acknowledge God, Mm -hmm. but does that mean we can never say thank you to someone for giving us an affirmation? And I think we have to be mindful of that, that we don't shut people down 
in doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that that's important because, yeah, like you say, people want to give a genuine compliment for something and God has given us gifts, but then there's also things that we do which we've worked on, you know? Mm. And so it's like, oh man, you've worked at something and I want to encourage you and say, brother, that was a great thing that you did. Mm. Um, and then if you just say, oh, like, not as in like praise God, but praise God that he gave me that ability. Yeah. And thank you, like noting what they say, you know, yeah. thanking them for it. Um, and I think that that's something that individually we have to know like what to do with you know Mm, someone totally i remember and then this is a hard thing but i remember someone talking about uh when they were performing they were performing something in church and they said please don't clap for me because they said for me i don't want the the clapping it 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 does something inside of me in terms of a pride thing they said i want it to be towards god you know um and then for me i see other things where i see like little kids putting up something and and doing something in church and you want to clap because you want to encourage them you know um and so different circumstances for different people and i think maybe being aware of yourself totally so there's some other things that i think are are significant one one thing is and i I think we ought to be i think it's good to be practical with a question like this because it's a practical question um second chronicles 7 14 God says this to Solomon. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. He says this at the inauguration of the first temple. What's interesting about this, I think, is it it highlights that one of the ways that we can deal with pride is to actually acknowledge our guilt, Mm, right? Yeah. And, And secondly, to actually turn. And, and here's why I think this is really significant. If, if I recognize God reveals that this, is, this thing is wrong, it's a sin, it's wicked, whatever. If I am trying by God's grace to, to walk away from that thing, I'm going to realize that I need grace. And that's humbling. Because there are so many times where I thought, oh, I can overcome this challenge and I fail and I fail miserably and over and over again until I realize the only way to overcome a challenge is if Jesus is working in my life and he's giving me the victory over this thing, right? Yes. Like, And that comes through relationship, right? And as soon as I take my eyes off the relationship, the victory falls away again for some reason. Yeah. You know, right? Like, And I think that that is one way to humble ourselves. Yeah, 100%. I really like what you're saying about making it practical. It reminds me of um, the verse. It says that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. And he Total, the cross. Oh, my favorite passage of scripture, Philippians 2. <laughs> and so thinking about that, I was like, well, what does that mean? It doesn't, to me, it's not even just that he humbled himself in point that he would die for someone, but he lived in a humble way in terms of he came from heaven, from the glories of heaven to earth. And he lived, he, he associated with people. The, the Jewish people at that time had a problem with pride. And so he, in that culture, pride and position and where you were was really important. And with Jesus, he didn't, as we said, he wasn't a respecter of persons. So he associated with people that didn't seem to be people that you would associate with. Mm. He spent time with them. He invested in them. Um, he did things. He looked after, he touched people who were injured and hurt. And basically he loved people. And to me, a way of being humble is loving people and those around you who other people um, disregard. Totally. And that's a challenge that, you know. It can be. And sometimes we can even do that out of pride. And yeah. so I think in those spaces, one of the things to do to make that really practical is uh, even further, because that was really practical, by the way, <laughs> is listen to people, yeah. not just to reply, mm. but listen to understand. Yeah. Because when you spend time serving other people and you really listen to them, you're going to find that there's parts of their story that relate to your story. And you're going to realize that you're not that different from these people that you look down upon. Yeah. Um, 
sometimes I've been, I've been flabbergasted by the pride that I have and I've been doing something where I thought I was serving or helping someone else and realized that what I was getting out of that was so much more valuable than what I was doing for them because I was realizing and learning and God was teaching me, I'm not better than you. Yes. And I think we all have a struggle with that. Anyone yeah. who thinks that they don't ever struggle with that is probably lying to themselves. Yeah. And I think that um, ultimately it comes back to having God in you because you have the goodness that comes and humbleness is a good thing. And that comes from God. So I think it's that relationship that you're saying. You know, when you see people who are humble, it's usually they have a relationship with God. Totally. And he's the one that's doing that within them. Totally. Another thing that you should do is the Bible talks a lot about community, right? Believers are called to be in a body called the church, right? Here's something that you can do. If you want to, hum if you want to be humbled, start spending time with people who know a lot more than you. Yeah. You'll realize, oh, man. I don't know a lot because you start to speak up brashly and then you get corrected. Whoo, that could put you in your place. You know what I mean? So spend time with people who are better than you at things. You'll also grow in yeah. those spaces too. You'll learn things. But yeah, pride is a big issue. And biggest thing is pray to God and ask him to lead you and do, do your best to trust. This is Chris Rice. It is well with my soul.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Oh man, it's been a it's been a great Bible study. It's been a great day. Um, let's let's just wrap up some thoughts. Now you had a, you had a thought that you shared in one of the breaks that I thought was really profound about the example, the testimonies of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar in this chapter. Would you like to just take a minute to share about that? Yeah, or two so, minutes even. <laughs> so thinking about that, I just I never realized before, and I was thinking, man, Daniel chapter five is really like a testimony chapter. So it's a chapter that shares these people's testimony. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar's testimony that Daniel actually shares. And he's like, man, he was a person who wasn't following God. He was prideful. He was brought low. He was humbled. And then he, he came back to God. So he shares Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. And we see Belshazzar's testimony, which is that he didn't humble himself and he was prideful his whole life. And he didn't, um, even though he knew these things about God, he didn't submit to God and turn to God. He's the one who can actually save him. And then we see Daniel's testimony, even given through the mother or the queen. Um, and we see the testimony that she shares about him being a follower of God and having God living in him and being the kind of man who could interpret things. And we see Daniel's testimony. And so we see these testimonies of these three men. And something that we were discussing, Robbie, is that it's actually, it shows how God wants everyone to be saved. Mm. So Daniel was somebody who knew God from a young age. He was born and he grew up knowing God. His parents taught him before he was taken to Babylon and he knew God. And he always, like basically as we can see, he always followed God. And so he was saved in following God and through his faith in God. But then we see Nebuchadnezzar who didn't grow up knowing God and he didn't have that faith and understanding and he grew in his understanding. And we see times when he acknowledges God, but then he falls back again and he acknowledges him and he's like, oh, God's real. But nah, his pride gets the better of him again. But then we see that in the end, Nebuchadnezzar actually gives himself to God. And so he, he's the one who's saved. And then we see Belshazzar who doesn't. And so through this, man, we look at people's testimonies and we see that God ultimately wants to save everybody, mm. especially people who didn't know him in the beginning. I love that. It's so good. It's so good. You're not saved because you were born in the church. You're not saved because you were born into 
the family of Abraham. You're not saved because of any of those things, right? You've got somebody who's born in the church, essentially in this context, who's saved. You've got somebody who's born outside the church who's not saved. Then you've got Nebuchadnezzar who was born outside the church, and he's saved. Amen. Because your salvation has to do with whether or not you accept and choose to respond to Jesus's offer of salvation by grace through faith to you alone, right? Like, it's just so powerful. God wants to give everyone opportunity, and I love that through this through this story we've seen. God is a faithful judge. God is, God is in the interest of the salvation of all others. So Amen. I just want to encourage you, get to know this God, and come join us next week as we go through our last section of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. And remember, friends, that real faith is lived faith. faith.